I turned uh, 50 a couple weeks ago, and, uh, <laughs> and with, it, with it came the opportunity, and I'm going to call it the opportunity, to become a member of the AARP, um, <laughs> an organization I did not know existed until I received their membership uh, application in the mail, and I had to Google who the AARP were, and I was horrified to discover that it stands for the American Association of Retired Persons. Um, and angrily, I have to confess, I tore it up and threw it in the trash. Um, so with turning 50, maybe my memory is starting to fade a little, but I just wanna say, like, I cannot remember a first preaching series of the year that it has left its mark on us as the series that we've just finished last week, a series that we entitled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. I've just been so encouraged and so um, excited at hearing amazing testimonies from so many of you of how you've taken the teaching that we gave and you've put it into practice. And, and we've heard incredible things of God's, that God has done as we all have begun to, to pray together. And what has been so encouraging is, is hearing and seeing the life of God on us over that three-day period in which we fasted as a church. Um, I found this quote this week, which I absolutely loved. It's from, um, it's from British preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones from the mid-1900s. He says this about prayer. We should bombard heaven with prayer until the answer comes. And kind of as a, as a, like, a final comment from the series, I wanna say this is an incredible reminder and exhortation for us. For us not to be a church that kind of has checked off prayer as done now that the series is over. But I want to exhort us to be a church like the one we read of in the book of Acts, especially Acts chapter two, where it says they devoted themselves to prayer. Let's, let's be those that are gathering together. Sunday mornings we pray, every morning at nine o'clock, come and join us. Last Sunday of every month, Stephanie just announced it, we gather to pray and worship. In your life groups, be praying together. Respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to pray for one another. And even fast as the Holy Spirit leads. Not as a legalistic thing, but as an expression of your desire for more of Jesus. I wanna encourage us to be doing that. So that said, let's, uh, uh, let's turn if we can, Mark chapter one. We're starting a, a new preaching series this morning that we're gonna be in the book of Mark over the next uh, couple months. Coming along with my AARP membership and along with turning 50, I've noticed that leading up to my 50th birthday and also over the last couple of weeks, I've grown a lot more reflective or contemplative or thoughtful over the last few weeks. I haven't bought a smoking jacket and a pipe and a leather wingback chair as, as some would think is necessary to be contemplative. But I, I have found myself asking some pretty weighty questions. Things like, what really am I called to do? Or what mark or legacy do I wanna leave behind on the world? And the question that has really gripped my heart most of all is, how do I ensure that I live for kingdom significance rather than worldly success? I think in the, in the day and age in which we live where there are so many competing and different voices that we are constantly bombarded with, and a time where it seems like those voices have, the volume of those voices has been turned up, I think the, the most important thing that I can do for myself and the most important thing that I can do for those that God has entrusted to our church, quite simply, is to point us to Jesus. 
Not the, not the concept of who Jesus is, not an idea of who Jesus is, but Jesus himself as our savior and as our Lord. I think to make sure that we are a church that achieves kingdom significance rather than worldly success, I think we are called to spend time with Jesus and to become like Jesus so that we can do what Jesus has called us to do. And, and that's my goal, that's my hope, is what, that, that we would achieve this, that we would learn this as we dive into Mark's gospel. Christian author and philosopher Dallas Willard, he, he wrote a book in 2006 called The Greater Mission, Reclaiming Jesus' Essential Teaching on Discipleship. And he, and he says this, this is a quote from his book, the greatest issue facing the world today, this is in 2006, and I would say it is still true, if not even more so today. The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. The needs around us, your, your needs even, my needs are, are heartbreaking and overwhelming. But according to Dallas Willard, and I think this lines up with the teaching of scripture, the most important thing that we can do is to become apprentices or followers of Jesus. I'll put it this way, that we would become a people who submit and surrender to Jesus's lordship, that we would learn to join him on his mission and to become part of the community or the people of God. I think this is time for us to step into God's story. And that's the title of our series through the book of Mark over the next four and a half months or so. Mark chapter one, we're gonna start off reading from verse one through to verse 15. And yes, you did hear four and a half months. We're gonna be taking our, way, taking our way fairly slowly through the book of Mark. Verse one, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son with whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. And after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom 
of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Mark's gospel is the shortest of all four, but certainly the most intense and the most action-packed. Mark wants us to experience what it was like for the disciples to step out of their lives and to step into God's story. And so it is full of this continuous succession of many highs and some lows that come with following Jesus. 42 times in 16 chapters, Mark uses words like immediately or at once to describe how Jesus lived. And, and how it must have felt like for the disciples to follow a man who was burning with an incredible sense of God's passion and purpose. It's commonly agreed that Mark was saved under Peter's ministry and was discipled by Peter and mentored by him. And so Mark's gospel was written as Peter preached and recounted what it was like for him to come face to face with Jesus. What it was like for him, what it felt like for him to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. You'll notice in these opening verses that there's no Christmas story in Mark's gospel. There's no stable, there's no angel choirs, there's no shepherds, there's no wise men, because Mark wants to get to the point as quickly as he can, the moment where Peter came face to face with Jesus Christ. Matthew's gospel is very different. Matthew wrote his gospel for a Jewish audience. He was writing a Jewish story, emphasizing the point that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Jewish Messiah. And Luke's gospel was written for primarily a Gentile audience to, to drive home the point that a criminal, a, a man crucified as a common criminal was indeed the savior of the world. But Mark's gospel is altogether different. He's not writing a Jewish story. He's not writing a Gentile story. He's writing about how Peter stepped into God's story as he encountered Jesus. Don't for a moment think that this actually is Peter's story, because it's not. Look at verse one with me. It's very clearly Jesus's story. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. I've been doing a series of devotions through the book of Mark, and I wanna encourage you to do the same, to, to read through the book over the next couple of weeks and months as we begin to study it in, in more depth. And I don't expect you to remember this, but roughly speaking, we've divided the Gospel of Mark up into five sections. Mark chapter one through chapter seven or so begins by telling us Jesus' story. As Mark describes those, the, the early moments of Jesus' ministry in the region of Galilee. You'll look, you'll see in, in verse chapter, in verse, sorry, chapter one, verse one through 14, Mark kind of sets the scene and then he summarizes Jesus's ministry in verse 15. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God, when, when he says is near, he's not meaning in the vicinity. He's meaning the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is upon us. What, what should we do? Repent and believe the good news. And then for chapter after chapter, we see these incredible stories of testimony after testimony of, of people encountering the power of Jesus through healing and through being set free. And Jesus goes on to teach through parables of what the kingdom of God is like. And in doing so, Jesus is emphasizing his authority because he calls 12 disciples to himself. And then in chapter six, it says, Calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two, giving them 
authority over impure spirits. It starts off telling us Jesus' story, but around chapter seven, Jesus moves out of the region of Galilee, and Peter realizes that the story is shifting. Jesus' story is not just for Israel, it's the entire world's story. Jesus' story, the world's story, but then Peter begins to realize that this is indeed a costly story. That Jesus is not asking the question, how can I help you? Jesus is inviting us to come and follow me. He's not stepping into our story, friends, and we need to grab this. God is asking us to step into his story. And all of this takes place in Mark chapter nine and 10 as the disciples are following Jesus on the road to Jerusalem to his eventual death and resurrection. Once they arrive in Jerusalem in Mark chapter 11, so begins the week before Jesus' death and resurrection. And Peter realizes that this is not just a costly story, but also a very surprising story. And then Mark's gospel comes to an end in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 16. But it's not the end of the story because he describes Peter's surprise, Peter's uh, uh, um, elation at not only encountering the empty tomb, but also meeting the risen Savior. And he realizes along with us that this is an unfinished story. Jesus' story, the world's story, a costly story, a surprising story, and an unfinished story. These are all the things that we're gonna cover, cover over the next 18 Sundays or so. But what we're gonna ask and answer today is how do we step into God's story? How does it all begin? And I said, verse 15, I think supplies the answer. Jesus tells us, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. How do we step into God's story? I'm convinced that it starts with a revelation of knowing whose story we are stepping into. Stepping into God's story starts with a revelation of Jesus Christ. Over the last couple months or so, our family have discovered this um, fun British game show on, on Amazon Prime. <clears throat> it's called Would I Lie to You? Um, kind of an obscure show. And I'm gonna describe the premise and you're gonna think, oh my goodness, really? It's, it's a lot better than how I'm gonna be able to describe it. Essentially, two teams of three of celebrity contestants gather together and then at random, each celebrity contestant reads a story, it may be true, it may be fabricated, about themselves. The other team get to ask them questions and then they have to guess whether it's true or whether it's a lie. Again, I promise, it's a lot better than it sounds. It's actually quite funny. The action really picks up in part two of the game. In part two of the game, there's this mystery guest that arrives on the scene and one of the team Three contestants have to describe again, whether it's true or fabricated, their relationship to the mystery guest. But every time before they get to describe their relationship to the mystery guest, the question is asked, David or, or Lee, who is so-and-so to you? The word of God, Matthew, uh, Mark's gospel, and in particular, this text that we look at, has, have looked at, asks the question of us. Xavier, Josh, Eric, Deborah, Esther, who is Jesus to you? 
And on that answer hangs our understanding of life and of death and of eternity. Look at verse one, look, look, look at chapter one with me, the first 15 verses that we, that we just read. According to Mark chapter one, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of God. He's the fulfillment of all the prophetic hopes and expectations of the Old Testament. He is greater than John the Baptist, who was the greatest of all prophets. He is the one who will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. He's the beloved son with whom the Father is well pleased. He is the one who has defeated and has overcome Satan. And he is the king of God's kingdom, the one who makes the gospel good news. Is Jesus that to you? As I said, I've been doing a devotion through the book of Mark and this past week I came across Mark chapter four which tells the account of Jesus with the disciples in the boat and Jesus, there's a vicious storm that hits the boat and the disciples are afraid they're gonna die and Jesus wakes up and with a single word commands the storm to be still and it is. And so the disciples look to one another and they ask the question, who is this? And so in my journal, I wrote down a few incomplete thoughts as to my answer as to who Jesus is. And it's in the context of some things that I've been thinking about and working through over the last few days. Who is this? He is Jesus Christ the Son of God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the word of God made flesh, the one who has power and authority to give life to the dead and call things that are not as though they were. He's the one whose promises never fail, whose mercies are new every morning, whose faithfulness is great and whose love endures forever. He is the one alone who has authority to command storms and sickness and Satan to be still, and they are. He is the one who never leaves us and delights when we come to him weary and heavy laden. He is the one whose grace is sufficient and who's preparing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs any and every hardship we face. He is the one who perfects his power in us and through us as we come to him in weakness. He is the one who is at the Father's right hand who never stops interceding for us. And he is the one who is willing and able to heal and comfort and encourage and restore. Yes. Is Jesus that to you? In 1976, I... I well, I, I didn't come across this in 1976. In 1976, there was a, a sermon that was preached by a gentleman called Dr. S.M. Lockridge. And I came across an excerpt of his sermon. And he says this about Jesus. The Bible says, my king is the king of the Jews and the king of Israel. He is the king of righteousness. He is the king of the ages. He is the king of heaven, the king of glory. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define him. He's enduringly strong, entirely sincere, eternally steadfast, immortally graceful, imperially powerful and impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's God's son, the sinner's savior, 
and the centerpiece of civilization. He is unparalleled, unprecedented, supreme and preeminent. He is the loftiest idea in literature, the highest personality in philosophy, the fundamental doctrine of true theology, and the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He is available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He heals the sick, cleanses lepers, forgives sinners, discharges debtors, delivers the captives, and defends the feeble. I wonder, do you know him? I wish I could describe him to you, but he is indescribable, incomprehensible, invincible, and irresistible. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. To which I ask you, is Jesus that to you? It's impossible to ask the question, who is Jesus to you, without turning to Colossians chapter one, or as we're gonna do, quickly turning to Hebrews chapter one, which gives us, the writer, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews gives us a little bio of who Jesus is. And he starts in verse one. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these days, In these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. Friends, Jesus is the word of God in human form. At some point, every one of us here has either asked the question, what is God like? Or what would God say about this or that? And friends, Jesus is the answer to both of those questions. We are a church who, that, that love the, the, the ministry and the move of the Holy Spirit. We believe the Bible teaches that the gifts of the Spirit are available for all of us today as we, are, as we come under the Lordship of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit begins to minister in us. We eagerly pursue the gifts of the Spirit, especially the gifts of prophecy, as Paul tells us that we should do in 1 Corinthians 14. But I wanna say this, we are not gonna be a church that desires a word above the word. We need to be a church that desires the word above any word that any of us bring. It is the word of God that changes and transforms. He carries on, who he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. That is such a remarkable thing to say and such a remarkable way to say it. The writer casually drops in this idea that Jesus also created the universe. Like it's a little thing that we shouldn't forget. In a couple of weeks, Debs and I are gonna be traveling to the UK for a weekend to minister at the UK equivalent of the US equip that we're hosting here. And they asked us to send a little bio, a little photograph and a little video of who we are so that people could get to know us. We didn't write this, but I could have said this. Stephen Debs have been married for 27 years and they have three kids and they live in Chicago and they help to lead Anthem Church. Stephen Debs also enjoy exploring new restaurants and eating great food and they love hiking and also they will both soon be members of the AARP. I could have have said that. But friends, in in Jesus' case, the writer to the the Hebrews is, is saying this. Listen, this is what I want you to know about Jesus. Jesus is the word of God and he is the full and final revelation of God and he is the heir of all things and oh, I almost forgot. He also made the universe. What an incredible thing to say. How glorious and how majestic do you have to be to have that added on as a little extra in your bio? 
Verse three, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And he provided, and after he provided purification for sins, friends, after he paid the price for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. If you have your Bibles with you, please take a pen and underline, he sat down. After providing purification for sins, he died a death on the cross to pay for the sins of everyone on planet earth. And he said on the cross, it is finished. There is nothing that we need to add to Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection that defeated sin and defeated Satan. Friends, we don't get ourselves ready to come into God's presence. God receives us and takes us as we are. Because we are in Jesus, if our faith in is, him, is in, in him. And if it is not today, as Aidan invited us earlier through worship, I wanna say, friends, let today be the day of salvation. Not because I'm urging you to, but because I trust Jesus is calling you and you would know that to be true. Is that Jesus to you? How do we step into God's story? It starts through a revelation of who Jesus is. Friends, who wouldn't want to submit and surrender to a Lord like that? So what do we do? Secondly, real quickly, we step into God's story as we respond to what Jesus has done. Verse 15, as we repent and believe the good news. The good news of what? The good news that God's kingdom is at hand. God's, God's reign and God's rule. God's reign and rule of goodness and grace, of life and love and liberty. God's, God's rule of power, the, God's presence is with us. God's presence is at hand. And we take hold of that as we repent and believe, as we firstly acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, as we believe that Jesus died on the cross. That's where Mark's gospel is heading. We're gonna get there eventually. Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. And as we commit our lives to him, as we repent, as we commit our lives to no longer living for ourselves, but living for, for, Jesus, for God instead. But friends, God's desire, and, and I've loved the way this has come through in the contributions and in the worship. God's desire is not just for us to be saved, and that is, that is God's desperate desire and longing for each and every one of us. And I'm gonna, again, give an opportunity for you if you are not a follower of Jesus to submit and surrender your heart to him. But God's desire is not just that we are saved, but that we experience the fullness of his kingdom, the entirety of what it means for Jesus to be Lord and Savior over every area of our lives. We very well might believe the gospel to be true. And we, most of us here, if not all, have surrendered our lives to Jesus. And we are sure that the news that Jesus is Lord is good. But I suspect not all of us are living as if we believe that is true. In some areas, we need to be honest that we struggle to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. We struggle to believe that what he knows is best. And we struggle to make the time to lean into him, to ask him what he thinks about certain situations or circumstances. And it's not always because of defiance or disobedience. Although, for some of you, let's be honest, it is. 
But for others, it's because of hurt or fear or shame. So what should we do? If Jesus is who he says he is, if Jesus is the Lord and Savior that I described earlier, and I believe he is, then I wanna say we can trust him to submit and surrender some of those areas that we have held back from him by repenting and believing the good news. Don't be put off, don't be offended, don't be worried by that word repentance. To repent means to change, to have my heart changed, to have my thinking changed. In other words, my convictions are different and that changes the direction of my life. I make a U-turn and I stop living for myself, but I start living for God in a certain area in my life. And all of this is empowered by the goodness and grace and love of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's not legalism that comes after us. It's not religion that comes after us. It's certainly not condemnation that comes after us. The Bible tells us it is the goodness of God and the kindness of God that teaches us, that, that leads us to repentance and the grace of God that, that, that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It is the double whammy of God's kindness and God's grace that bring us to the place where we repent and surrender all of our lives to Him. No matter how broken or hopeless you feel, no matter how afraid you might be of your own weakness, no matter how selfishly you may have lived at the expense of others, no matter how deeply entrenched wrong thinking or wrong living may be, God's gift of repentance is able to bring us through all of that, completely whole, completely healed, and completely restored, but not just bring us through living under the blessing and the favor of God. Friends, God's, God's desire is not just for us to bury our old way of living, but to step into the fullness of a new life that is available to him in Jesus. That's the point of Mark chapter one. Do you notice that Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit and then heard the word of affirmation of the Father? That's what God wants for every, every one of us in every area of our lives, to be united to Jesus, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, so that we can hear the affirmation of the Father booming in our ears and in our hearts. How do we step into God's story? Through a revelation of who Jesus is and as we respond to what Jesus has done. What is that area in your life that you've kind of held it back from God and said, this is mine to keep? What is that thing that you are holding back from God because you are afraid of disappointment. The disappointment of trusting Jesus and thinking nothing will change. What is that thing in your life, that mistake that you've made, that, that, that sin perhaps that you have done or something that has been done to you that you are ashamed of? And you've said, God will surely not wanna touch this part of my life. Because today, I wanna say, it's the day for us to submit and surrender those areas and to trust Jesus to do something powerful as only he can. Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper 
says this of Jesus. There is not one square inch in all the world where Christ, who is Lord of all, does not cry, that's mine. Can I say, there is not one molecule, emotion, fear, shame, guilt, sin in your life or your heart where Jesus does not cry, that's mine. Jesus says that of our sin, that's mine. He takes that sin and he was nailed to the cross and rose again three days later, defeating the sin's power and hold over us. Jesus sees our sickness and our brokenness and he says, that's mine. And he took it to the cross. And according to the book of Isaiah, the stripes that he bore on his back was to pay the price for our healing. And Jesus sees our suffering and our struggle. And he says, that's mine. He says, come to me, everyone who is weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. No sin, no sickness, no struggle, and no suffering is beyond the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer this morning. It's gonna ask you for a moment just to, just to consider the things that have been shared this morning. I don't wanna in any way manipulate or coerce a response out of anyone. That's not gonna produce life. But as the Holy Spirit leads, as the Holy Spirit lovingly convicts, as the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of our hearts to things that we've held back from Him, that's where everlasting life is released. So Holy Spirit, I pray for your light of illumination, your light to, not to expose, but to reveal, not to shame, but to show us how you want us to respond this morning. Father, my prayer is that none of us would just leave here unchanged. If nothing else, let it be, Lord, that we marvel at who you are, Jesus. But I sense, Lord, that there are some who need to bring areas of their lives to you. And I pray that you would give them the courage to do that today. In our own strength, we acknowledge, Lord, that we are weak. But in you, we are strong. In you, we are able. In you, we are capable to bring our burdens. No matter how weary, no matter how exhausted we may feel, 
Lord, you desire that we come to you so that you can give us rest, so that you can release us from sin that is holding us back. Those chains that Stephanie spoke of at the very beginning of this, of this meeting, Lord, those of us who, 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 are, who are bound, those of us who are carrying burdens that are not ours to carry, Lord, today, may there be breakthrough in Jesus' name. Today, by, a, by an act of the Holy Spirit, may chains be broken off in Jesus' name. Lord, would you release us into freedom and into wholeness and into healing. You have that authority, Jesus. We can't make it happen. We simply look to you. Jesus, would you be Lord of every area of our lives? Nothing held back. Nothing tucked away in the recesses of our hearts. But Lord, may we say you can have it all. You can have it all. Just as you continue just to respond to the Lord, I do wanna just throw out that invitation again to anyone who is here today who perhaps does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And you've hopefully in today's worship and today's sermon heard the truth of the gospel, the truth that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins and rose again from the dead in order to defeat the power of sin. And we receive Jesus, Jesus' incredible gift of salvation not by inviting Him to step into our lives, but by us stepping into His. By us acknowledging that He is Lord and Savior and believing that He did that on the cross and then committing our lives to follow Him as He empowers us to do so. If that's you today, you're saying, Steve, I wanna surrender my heart to Jesus. I'm not gonna call you forward, but I would love to pray with you where you are seated. Could you just lift your hand real quick and look at me? I would love to lead you in a prayer this morning. Does anyone wanna respond to the gospel today? Jesus, thank you for your incredible gift of salvation. The incredible news that you are good. And as a, as, a, as a people, we just wanna receive all that you have for us today. I pray as we go from this place, Lord, may you continue just to work deeply into our hearts as we, as we begin this week and as we begin this preaching series, Lord, I pray this preaching series would be full of powerful encounters with your presence. I pray this would be a series of us offloading things and leaving them behind. I just, Lord, I, I just get the picture of, of traveling with baggage 
and then arriving at the destination and that baggage is lost. And I pray, Lord God, this would be a series of lost baggage. This would be a series of sin being thrown off, of, of, of challenges and, and difficulties and, and things that are holding us back and keeping us down being thrown off in Jesus' name. And as we step into your story, that we would experience the fullness of what it means to follow you. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done today, for the life that you've released, for the hope that you've instilled, for the lifting of our heads, for the refreshing in our hearts. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen.